1: That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly, it's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach, with your people, and you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com
0: slash AI for All. Hello, hello, and welcome to the As A Woman podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Natalie Crawford. I'm a board certified OB-GYN and REI, and I am here to help you learn and advocate for yourself. You deserve to understand your body. You deserve to have the best experience possible if you have to go through fertility treatments because nobody wants to go through it. And I am here to break down the science, educate you, and provide you with all the information that you need. Before we dive into today's topic, I want you to know where you can find more information. So FYI, over on the website, NatalieCrawfordMD.com, there's a resources page, and on that resources page, there's a search bar. So you can search for any topic you're interested in, and you will see all the content I have. You'll also find on the website a place to sign up for the newsletter, which I highly recommend. Maybe I'm biased, but the newsletter is going to have my favorites and recipes and updates and discount codes, but even more fun, it has answers to some of your fertility questions and some of my hot take on fertility in the news. And I just think that's a fantastic way for you to stay up to date and interested in what is going on in a very passive way. And it's not spammy. And while you're on the website, you can get more information about the fertility courses. The fertility courses are fabulous. There's Enhance Your Natural Fertility, all about your body, lifestyle, deep, deep dive into lifestyle. And then also about infertility. And then there is the IVF guide. They're both self-paced learning. The natural fertility course has a private Facebook group where you'll get to connect with other people. And I spend too much time there answering your questions. You can also check out the Instagram at Natalie Crawford MD, and you can ask your questions every Monday. On Monday, we'll answer some of your questions on Instagram Save some for podcast episodes like this and answer some in the newsletter. You can also call and leave your questions on the voicemail at 657 229 3672. Again, that is 657 229 3672. Today, I am going to be talking about severely low ovarian reserve. And there was an article that came out in the Green Journal, which is historically considered one of the big OBGYN journals, and it is called Live birth outcomes among women with infertility and anti-malarian hormone levels of 0.3 nanograms per milliliter or lower. So, fun fact is that I practice in Austin, Texas. I'm at Fora Fertility, the boutique fertility clinic that Dr. Amanda Scone and I started. We are one of the only practices in town that will actually cycle women with a very low AMH. And especially if you're young. I see so many people come to me saying that another clinic told them they had to do donor egg. And that's why studies like this are very important. Because it has been proposed before that women, regardless of age, who have an AMH of 0.3 or less, be declined IVF. Just, hey, you're not a candidate for it which can be extremely unfair, especially if you have tubal disease or you have male factor, and if you are young especially, when egg quality is still in your favor. So I'm very happy that this article exists just to even dive into this topic and look into this more. If we're going to talk about this before I dive into what they found, I just want to talk about AMH for a hot minute in case this is your first time here. AMH stands for anti-mullerian hormone, and it is a marker of what we call ovarian reserve. AMH is very trendy now to get screened. You can just get a blood test drawn. You can draw it with a finger prick and send it in over the mail. And all for all, I am a fan of people getting their AMH checked because I think that discovering you might have an issue earlier in your journey is nothing but extremely helpful when it comes to you being able to be the one in charge, to make decisions, to change your health. And despite the fact that the American College of OBGYN claims that their recommendation is not to screen AMH levels in a population of people who are not wanting to be pregnant or not trying to be pregnant, with the argument that falsely low levels may not impact natural fertility, therefore we will cause undue stress on people, I will argue that you can't make decisions on data that you don't know. And if you want to have a family one day, if you want to have a genetic child, you need all the information you can to make that decision. And certainly, having a low AMH might cause you to do something different. You might walk into my office or freeze your eggs. Or you might come off the pill and start trying with your husband or your partner. Or you may not. But then it's your choice. And not just put in this place where you ask for something that could have changed behavior and changed your future. And you were declined because it doesn't make sense on a financial basis to screen an entire population of people or because somebody who might have a paternalistic view thinks that you can't handle the emotional awareness or response of what it might mean to have a low AMH. And now a word from one of our sponsors, Rocket Money. Did you know that nearly 75% of people have subscriptions that they've forgotten about? Embarrassingly, I am one of those as well. And Rocket Money can cancel a subscription for you that otherwise could have been a time-consuming process. Between streaming services, fitness apps, and delivery services, it can be never-ending. So Rocket Money is a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions. They monitor your spending and help you lower your bills so that you can grow your savings. And now a word from one of our sponsors, Ritual. Did you know that 97% of women aged 19 to 50 are not getting enough vitamin D from their diet? Ritual's Essential for Women 18 and Plus was shown to increase vitamin D levels by 43% in a clinical study. I love Ritual and I love taking their Essential for Women 18 plus every single day. One reason I love it is that it's gentle on an empty stomach and it has a minty essence, so every bottle feels refreshing and is actually enjoyable. It's also clinically backed multivitamin with high quality and traceable key ingredients, and they have industry-leading sustainability standards. No more shady business. Rituals Essential for Women 18 and Over is a multivitamin you can actually trust. Get 25% off your first month for a limited time, At ritual.com slash A-A-W. Start Ritual or add Essential for Women 18 Plus to your subscription today. That's ritual.com slash A-A-W for 25% off. Now, AMH is made from the cells that surround all of your follicles. So if we're going to talk about AMH, we have to understand it. AMH is made from what we call the granulosa cells. And each follicle has granulosa cells that surround it. You're born with all the eggs you're ever going to have, and I like to think about them as in a vault inside your ovary. Every single month, you lose a group of eggs. That group of eggs is proportional to how many you have inside. So when there's more eggs, you lose more per month. And in fact, you lose most of the eggs you're ever going to have between being a 20-week baby and the time that you're born. You lose half your eggs in that time period, which is Wild. From there on, you lose an entire group per month, no matter what. We do not have a way to stop this process, meaning you're losing them before you start puberty, you lose them when you're on birth control, you lose them when you're pregnant, you lose them when you're breastfeeding. None of that matters. Not ovulating does not mean your eggs are being saved. And similarly, going through IVF or egg freezing does not mean that you're going to run out of eggs faster. Because when we talk about fertility treatments, I can only get that one month group of eggs to grow. That's it. I can't tap into the vault. I can't make you have more eggs. This concept is so important because if we think about the ovary, we think about your body, what we're looking for is trying to understand, at least in my mind, what the journey is going to be. I will often tell a patient. Are you running a marathon or are you taking a walk around the neighborhood? Because you're going to prepare very different for those two experiences. And if you think you're just going around the block and it's a marathon that you did not prepare for, it is going to be a lot harder than you expected. So we are trying to get the data so that we can think big picture, long term, and make sure that we're making choices in line with it. Yes, AMH is not associated with Fecundability or the probability of getting pregnant per month, and that's a very important concept, and that's great news. And that makes a lot of sense if we think about it. AMH is a reflection of how many eggs are outside the vault that month. What is going to happen is the brain is going to send out FSH or follicle stimulating hormone at the start of a cycle, and FSH is going to stimulate one follicle or one egg to grow. As that follicle or egg grows, it's going to make estrogen, and that will be the one to ovulate. The rest of the eggs will die, and then next month, another group. So your body doesn't care if you have six eggs or 28 eggs. You're ovulating how many? One. You're going to ovulate one. So you have the exact same chance as somebody with a low AMH, high AMH. As long as you're regularly ovulating, that value does not impact your fecundability, your probability of pregnancy, or your rate of having infertility. Great. But you know what it does impact It does impact the length of time you likely have until you go into menopause, because if you have fewer eggs coming out of the vault right now, you likely will run out of them sooner. You also are going to have a lower response with IVF medications, meaning if you're trying to freeze your eggs or do IVF, the number of eggs you can get is directly proportional to your AMH. Higher AMH, more eggs, lower AMH, fewer eggs. Okay, that's fine. But if the success of these things is determined by how many eggs you get and the younger you are, aren't you better served to get more now versus just waiting and hope that you aren't one in five who actually have infertility or need IVF? It doesn't make any sense to me. So the lower your AMH is, the fewer eggs you're going to get and the higher the risk that you might have an IVF cycle canceled. I explain this as your ovaries are just more stubborn when there's less eggs, and it's harder to get the ovary to override the natural process. Remember that the natural process is to try to get one egg to grow and ovulate, and what we're trying to do is get that whole group of eggs to grow and ovulate. So you have a higher cycle cancellation rate. All right, this is where it gets messy. So if you're a fertility clinic and you report to something called SART, the Society for Assisted Reproductive Technology, SART does a lot of great things. They have all these policies and procedures, they are validating certain things in your lab, they provide you resources, but you have to report all your IVF cycles to them, which sounds like a fantastic idea because it can give patients a way to evaluate practices. But it has now just become a game where people are playing the system to get better success rates, therefore, they are either discriminating against patients or not doing what's in their best interest or not taking care of patients fully And they're letting their success rates dictate how they treat somebody. And what I mean by that is that, for example, if you have a cycle canceled in IVF, it actually counts as a not pregnant cycle, even though there was no embryo ever going to be put in. Crazy to me. And if you don't get any embryos, so you go through IVF, you have a very low ovarian reserve and I only get three eggs and we didn't end up making embryos from that cycle. SART counts it has not pregnant. Even though there were no embryos, there were never going to be. This has caused a lot of us in the field to really push on SART to say you really need to change what SART is because it's not very reflective anymore. People aren't doing fresh transfers. The rate of live birth for one IVF cycle or one retrieval is not a very reflective measure of reality anymore. But because that's how SART is, and because success rates are something patients use to look at if they're gonna go somewhere for IVF, and because places like to make money over taking care of patients, there are many clinics who will not cycle anybody with low AMH level or an AMH of 0.3 or less. So even if you are young, They say no. So that's just something important to realize that not every clinic is like that. And then something to really be careful about if you're looking at SART data with a clinic. If somebody's numbers look too good to be true, they probably are. All right, so the study I'm talking about right now, what their objective was, was to take people who had an AMH level of 0.3 or less and then compare them to SART categories and success rates and what they're trying to look at is live birth rate per started cycle but then also cumulative cycles and cumulative infertility treatments in general so this was a retrospective study all done at one institution and these are people who had at least one IVF cycle between 2013 and 2019 And they had an AMH of 0.3 or less. It's important to realize that these AMH levels were checked at least within a year of the cycle started and people were excluded from the study if they've had a history of chemotherapy, if they were on hormonal contraceptive within three months of the AMH measurement, if they had a partner with severe male factor infertility. All of the outcomes from the cycles were compared with the 2018 live birth outcomes from the SART report per retrieval initiated, because that's what SART likes to do. This study had two outcomes. So primary outcome was live birth rate per initiated cycle. And what that means is whether you got pregnant from that IVF cycle eggs or from even converting, if you converted it to an IUI and live birth was considered having a baby of viability, 24 weeks or more. And then secondarily, what I find interesting, they looked at cumulative live birth rate up to three IVF cycles, and next, live birth rate after all treatments, whether you did IVF, ovulation induction, whether you just got pregnant, anything that you did during the timeline. All right, so this study had 978 patients who had an AMH of 0.3 or less. Interesting fact, 20% of them did have menstrual cycle changes, Remember that I say irregular cycles or some change in your period pattern can be the only clinical sign you might have that you're starting to get into this severely low AMH category. Also, of these patients, of 978 patients, 23% of them had their first cycle canceled. That's a high cancellation rate, but that's... I think very reflective of reality in this patient group. So if you have a very low AMH and you're gonna freeze your eggs or do IVF and your cycle gets canceled, let's understand that that's not a super rare outcome in your circumstance. So that's okay, we'll take a breath, we will regroup. Rates of the cycle being converted to IUI or to an intrauterine insemination, meaning they had a few eggs, not the goal eggs, Was somewhere between 6 to 18 percent, lower incidence the younger you are, and a higher rate of converting as you got older. Ultimately, the live birth rate for converted cycles was pretty low, less than 15 percent. But this means that of people who started that first IVF cycle with an AMH of 0.3 or lower, only 60 percent of them actually got to an egg retrieval because they were either canceled or they were converted over. And not everybody had embryos just because you got to retrieval, but 493 patients did have an embryo to transfer, which ultimately is a really good number. 587 got to retrieval in this group, and you had 493 who got to a transfer. That means that of the patients who got to an egg retrieval, 84% of them had an embryo to transfer, and these are people who a lot of clinics would say are not even a candidate to do IVF. And now a word from one of our sponsors, Quince. My closet has a tendency to get chaotic and crammed with a bunch of clothes that I don't really want to wear. What's been a game changer for me has been upgrading to high quality and affordable pieces from Quince. Now I have a wardrobe full of luxury and classic essentials and I stayed on budget. The best part is that Quince items are priced 50-80% to less than similar brands, and they do this by partnering directly with top factories, cutting out the middleman and passing the savings on to us. In addition, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing and premium products and finishes. I personally am loving the linen pieces as it's Texas and summer is upon us. Indulge in affordable luxury Go to quince.com slash AAW for free shipping on your order and 365 day returns. That's QUINCE.com slash AAW to get free shipping and 365 day returns. Quince.com slash AAW. And now a word from one of our sponsors, Caraway. Spring is coming, and I always love a good home reset. Non toxic cookware is the perfect way for you to kick off your own spring cleaning. With so many collections to explore, there is a caraway for every cook. Their internet famous kitchenware is a staple for any home. It comes with beautiful shades to fit your aesthetic, but most importantly, you're ditching the chemicals. Caraway's non-toxic kitchenware comes a chemical-free ceramic coating, so your food can be prepared without any of those hard-to-pronounce chemicals leaching in to your healthy ingredients. Everybody knows that I am a big believer that our environment impacts our body and that's why I trust Caraway with my cooking. Visit carawayhome.com A-A-W to take advantage of this limited time offer for 10% off your next purchase. This deal is exclusive for our listeners. So visit carawayhome.com A-A-W or use the code A-A-W at checkout. Caraway, non-toxic cookware, made modern. Okay, well, let's get to a few of the results of the outcomes. So when we look at results, they compare them in two different ways. Again, that first cycle, live birth rate, or the three cycle or all treatment in rate. So if we look at the first cycle and we're comparing it to that SART group, so the SART age categories are going to be the same. So if you're under age 35 with a low AMH of 0.3 or less, you're... Live birth rate for a single cycle was 21%, for up to three cycles, it was 38.3%, and the SART cohort was 55%. Now, if you combine all treatments together, so people got converted over to IUI or got pregnant unassisted, then that group with an AMH of 0.3 or less had a cumulative live birth rate of 495 So relatively close for a group of people who were just told they couldn't go through treatment. Now, if you're 35 to 37, what we saw is your live birth for that initiated cycle of 18%, cumulative live birth up to three IVF cycles of 34%, and then cumulative total of all treatments was 39%, and we can compare this to 40% in the SART group. So also really same on the big picture, and that's between age 35 to 37. If we look at the 38 to 40 group, one single cycle, 12.6%, total of three cycles, 23.2%, total of all treatments, 27%. And if I compare that to the SART numbers for the same age group, 26.8%. Again, seems pretty similar. And then if I look at the 41 to 42 group, one single cycle, 4%, cumulative three cycles, 8.8%. And if I look at all treatments altogether, then I'm going to be at 13% and the SART group is 134 And lastly, my older than 42 group, I have the study cohort for a single initiated cycle, 1.2% live birth rate, The SART cohort was at 4.1. And then if we look at cumulatively, all treatments together, we were at four. So still again, similar, low because it's an older age range. So if the aim of the study is to look at the chance of live birth with patients and a low AMH per initiated cycle, so per cycle you start, and if you are under age 35, your chance of live birth per cycle was 26%, and that decreased down as you got older, But what we saw was a cumulative improvement. So the more cycles you did, and up to three was what the study did, you got to a very similar chance of live birth as what was seen in the cycle. And if you put all the treatments together, you are seeing that you don't really have that difference in outcomes. You had to do more to get there, 100%. You had to put in more time and effort. So you need to mentally be prepared for the marathon. You're going to have to do more than your best friend who might be normal, quote unquote, but you can get there. So the question that we're always asked, does a low AMH mean my eggs are bad? The answer there is no. AMH level is not a reflection of egg quality. Age is an association of egg quality. And we see that. We also see that in this study, patients had the same proportion of maturity and fertilized eggs for their total eggs retrieved as the average person which we do know that discrepancies in maturity or accepting fertilization can also be a sign of egg quality so it appears that we see lower rates of live birth per initiated IVF cycle because you just have less eggs and if you have less eggs the odds of getting a viable embryo for one single cycle is going to be lower however When you prepare yourselves, or you do multiple cycles, you are able to get to a very similar outcome. So that means we should not restrict patients with a low AMH from doing IVF, especially those who are in the lower age range. However, we do need to counsel them that what it takes to get to that outcome might be more than one cycle. There is this idea that IVF is just going to work for everybody, and we know once we're on this side of it that that's not really what happens. We also know that one of the top reasons why somebody removes themselves from fertility care is emotional distress or the time that it's taking. What we see right here is I can tell you if you have an AMH of 0.3 or less, you have a higher chance of your cycle getting canceled. So just be prepared for that. That's going to take time, okay? Okay. You also have a higher chance that you're gonna need multiple cycles to get to the same outcome as your best friend. That number is three. That's okay also, but you need to be prepared for that. What does that look like? How do you save that money? What can you do to get closer to that goal? All right, so the conclusion of the study, I just wanna read out loud. We conclude that a lower undetectable AMH level alone should never preclude a patient with infertility from autologous IVF treatment And that patients should be encouraged to consider the chance of live birth in their age category when making a decision regarding treatment initiation. I love that because this is stating that you, the patient, are smart enough to understand the odds when presented to you in an honest fashion. To say, you know I'm going to sign up for the marathon and I'm going to be ready for it. Or make a different decision and that's all okay, but I like to see the choice Put on you. I like you being involved in your healthcare making. And I really am so sick of the paternalism saying you can't do this because of this artificial cutoff, especially when here's a study that doesn't support it. Last caveat to say is that this is patients with severe DOR. They still were cycling, even if they had irregular cycles. These patients were not in menopause or ovarian failure. Those patients would have had and extremely high FSH and amenorrhea are no periods whatsoever. In those cases, when your FSH is so high, it can be near impossible to get any egg growth because that's the medication we give. So just an important distinction between those two scenarios. I am now gonna answer some of your fertility questions. Again, these are questions that you ask on Instagram every Monday. These questions can be asked at Natalie Crawford, MD. They will be answered on Instagram here on the podcast in our for fertility sake segment or in that weekly newsletter which you can sign up for at crawfordmdcom slash newsletter you also can call and leave those voicemail questions for my favorite q a podcast episodes 657-229-3672 again that is 657-229-3672 all right this first question i just can't even help myself Is IVF successful for DOR patients? How many rounds average? DOR is diminished ovarian reserve. So I think the study right here is going to tell you that it does depend on your age. Overall, age is still the number one predictor of success. But depending on how severe your DOR is, so if it's an AMH of 0.3 or less, you need to be prepared that it might take about three cycles to get to that average rate of what you would see with one if your AMH was normal. Now, a lot of times your AMH is low to get DOR, but it's not this severe. So I always say you should have a real talk with your doctor about your age and your antral follicle count and your AMH so that they can predict for you if everything falls average, which it doesn't always do, what does that mean for your likelihood of needing how many cycles and what is your embryo goal? How many kids do you want? So this is a very dynamic question but your doctor should actually be able to work through the math with you. How long does PGTA testing take? Does the lab provide the results directly? Every lab will be different. That's a fantastic question to ask your clinic. In general, PGTA now in majority of the labs is sent off, meaning the embryo is biopsied, frozen, and then it's sent off for sequencing because the type of testing we can do now is so advanced it takes time. Most of the time, it is going to take between one to three weeks to get those results back. And remember, the embryos don't get biopsied till a week after the egg retrieval anyway because they have to grow out to that blastocyst stage. Some clinics might do in-house PGT. It's typically a different type of analysis, but they might be able to get same-day results. So get to the blast stage. You're thinking you have a transfer. They're able to get the result. And if you had a normal embryo, come in for it. The field has moved away from that for a lot of reasons, showing better fetal outcomes with frozen transfers versus fresh, being able to really optimize uterine embryo environment, and better testing protocols often taking longer. But ask your lab because everyone is going to be different. When do you recommend donor egg? Donor egg is when you're using eggs from an egg donor, and there's a few different ways that this can be done. There are egg donor banks. There are fresh donors. There's different pros and cons to them both and different costs and different guarantees. But in the end, there's a few different scenarios when I recommend this. One is when it's the only option, and this is when you're in menopause or ovarian failure. You don't have any eggs remaining, and this is what you need to do. Same kind of category. I've had young patients who've gone into menopause early. I've had young patients who've had, had their ovaries removed, and these are cases where you definitely need an egg donor. Patients who are frankly in menopause and they know it, they also know they need an egg donor. The fine balance is right in between. You are older, so you heard the data we just went through in the 40 to 42 and up category. Ultimate live birth rates are still really low. And how many cycles you'll have to do to try to get there? And financially, does that make sense? It likely doesn't in a lot of scenarios unless you have insurance that covers your IVF or you have a big pot of money. And that becomes where Mm -hmm. the ROI on the process of doing egg donor just might make more sense because you're going to get to that stage of transfer which is such a barrier in the group when you are older. So there's no one size fits all. There's definitely times where you're doing IVF and you're just not getting normal embryos despite sending off a high enough number for your age or you're not making blasts to even send off or you're not responding appropriately or the embryos are just not growing right. And sometimes you just need to get to that next stage and this is the right pathway. But a lot of times I have patients who could keep doing IVF with their own or their autologous eggs, but it just starts to not make sense. Why does my body respond well to estrogen pills? I have a thin lining. This is in reference to a frozen embryo transfer or an FET cycle. In an FET cycle, there's two different main types of protocols. One where you are stimulating the ovaries, to ovulate and therefore make natural estrogen and that will subsequently grow the lining and then in the other you're going to suppress the body typically with birth control and or lupron and then you're going to grow the lining with estrogen or estradiol pills. Now estrogen can be given in a lot of different ways. Pills you take by mouth, pills you put in your vagina, estrogen shots, estrogen patches. And everybody's gonna respond different because if you're taking a pill by mouth, it has to get metabolized through your liver and the amount that might actually circulate or get to the uterus can be variable. Some people also just do not respond to estrogen pills like they do their own endogenous estrogen. I have a lot of success, one, in patients who maybe have a thin lining on an oral pill, adding a vaginal estrogen pill, so the exact same pill, just using it vaginally at night, And seeing a good outcome because just that local absorption, the vagina is so absorptive. It is a wonderful mucous membrane. So side note, but if you put estrogen pills there, the exact same one, they can be absorbed and you can often see a very beautiful lining. Second is some patients just don't have the same response. And so you can always try to switch them to potentially a modified natural cycle and see if they grow better to that endogenous estrogen growth. And then if you're still not seeing a response, you got to think what else could be preventing this lining from growing. One thing could be, is there anything inside the uterus? Could there be any scar tissue? And that might be a circumstance where a hysteroscopy or putting a camera inside the uterus makes sense so that you can go and take a look and make sure that you're doing everything you can to have the best chance of success with that transfer. All right. So those are the questions that we're answering today. Remember that you can ask your questions over on Instagram at Natalie Crawford MD every Monday. You can also ask your questions with the as a woman voicemail. So that's 657-229-3672. Again, 657-229-3672. Leave a voicemail and we would love to answer it. Huge thanks for all your love and support of the podcast As it's entering its sixth year, cannot believe. Four million downloads, all the love and support. You guys are the absolute best audience. And I am so, so thankful for you. Thank you, friends. Thank you all for listening to As a Woman. It would mean so much if you could rate, review, and follow the podcast to be notified of new episodes every Sunday. I hope you learned something new and I hope you share it with someone in your life. Be sure to follow along on Instagram at Natalie Crawford MD and check out the YouTube channel Natalie Crawford MD. If you're interested in becoming a patient, you can also follow Fora Fertility. I'm so thrilled to have you here, part of the community that amplifies others as a woman.
1: First taste of rare bourbon you finally got your hands on. That's nice. At Caskers dot com, we make this experience easy. Caskers is a one-stop spirit curator with an impressive selection of exclusive, sought-after, rare, and household names in the realm of premium spirits and champagne. Discover the top flavors of the year now by going to Caskers dot com and using code Welcome Ten for ten dollars off your first purchase. Get ten dollars off your first purchase with code Welcome Ten at Caskers dot com. Ah, hmm.